0: Love Talk Radio. I'm going to a city that's set on a hill. Its ruler and maker is the Lord God above. Oh, I'm going to a city and it's set on a hill. And someday I'll be in heaven and there'll be no sorrow there. It lies for square, the
1: gates are made of jasper and I- Hello everybody, God bless you today This is Susan Puzio And I want to welcome you to the Prophetic News Radio broadcast on Blog Talk Radio And we're in our 12th year here Hard to believe, hundreds of programs And they're all archived, all our programs are archived on Blog Talk Radio. So if you go to my show page, Prophetic News, Susan Puzio, all the shows will be there for the past 12 years. So if you don't have anything to do, (laughs) if you don't have anything to do for a couple of weeks, you can listen to hundreds of shows and many interesting guests and topics. And I don't think we'll ever run out of things to say until Jesus comes and come quickly, Lord Jesus, and get us out of this crazy house we're living in, right? It's kind of a really, I think, a dress rehearsal for the great tribulation, which some people don't believe is really going to happen, but I believe it's going to happen. And we're seeing a little bit of that. Now we can't control our circumstances as far as this devil virus, as I call it. And another good friend of mine came down with the virus recently and she's been pretty sick. So lift her up in your prayers. It's always very stressful to hear, especially people that you know and get really sick when they catch this thing you just don't know how it's going to affect you some people get it and they survive without too many complications and then other people get it and they don't make it so it doesn't discriminate either about who who's going to catch this thing even you're seeing more and more of the reports of what they call breakthrough cases, which people are getting this virus without even being, with being vaccinated and being double vaccinated and triple vaccinated. So it just seems that it gets different. when, once it, uh, one variant dies off then another one appears and so it's so unpredictable and sometimes you can ask people well how do you think you got it and they they don't know sometimes they can track it down to think thinking well maybe I was at this place or I was at that place but you can't really let your guard down you have to you have to be careful you have to be careful because Some people wind up in the hospital, they get pneumonia, they get blood clots. And there's so many side effects that go along with this thing. It's so wicked and it's so evil to think that somebody created this thing in a lab, which they did. It was created. And uh, thing never existed before, as far as we know it. Well, they say, well, there's been different coronaviruses, but nothing like this, where it's affected the whole world. And it's been affecting the whole world now, what, almost going on two years. So, and there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. And now they're going to force people to get a vaccination, which I personally don't believe in forcing anybody to get a vaccination if that's not what you want to do, because they haven't been proven safe. There wasn't enough time. Usually it takes years before they can see what the side effects of things are. And now they have some pill that they're going to start pushing, which they don't really know what the side effects of of that is going to be. But you're seeing more and more where the news media didn't really want to report the side effects of the vaccines. They were, Trying to hold back on those reports, but I see it more and more even on when I log into my computer and it brings up the news page of MSN, MSN and uh, they're, they're even reporting it where before they didn't, they tried to act like there was no side effects and it was 100% safe. And, but a lot of people are getting side effects, and even people who have been dying from the vaccine itself. So thank God we know the Lord Jesus because we know who we could trust. And we know that we can trust Jesus with our life. And when it's your time to go, it's your time. So the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. What can we do about it? We can't do anything when it's when it's time, it's your time. So I don't ever give the devil credit for a Christian dying and and you you see people on the internet, and they say, "Oh, that Christian, they died from COVID, and they didn't have a vaccine," and and so, and then they blame the person. Well, when a Christian dies, it, it's their time to go. So we don't blame the devil when somebody dies. It's unfortunate when they when they die of something like this. It's all in God's hands, ultimately. So I don't blame the victim for catching the virus or they got vaccinated or they didn't get vaccinated. And there's enough hate going around this, So we have uh, people hating each other for this virus, (laughs) which it's a sign of things to come. It really is. It's really a sign of things to come of what we're going to have to go through, and it's not going to be pleasant at all, but we'll get through it no matter what we go through. And I know we never thought we were going to see anything like this, and we we never thought we were going to see gambles as far as the illegal immigration and the vaccine mandates where they're even staying mature, and won't be able to go to school, and you won't be able to go to work. Uh, a lot of people are boycotting or they're ticketing or they're they're just not going to go to work. Well, how are we going to do without the workforce? Really, that's what people should do is just take a day off and everybody say, we're, not, we're taking a day off from work and nobody's going because you can't force people to take medicine that they don't want to take and because you don't you don't really know when it when you can see that the vaccinated people are spreading getting it and they could be carrying it too so who are you going to blame the virus you can't take a butterfly net and catch it and it's going to be over it's out there lurking around so you can't force people and threaten their livelihood and and threaten the health of their children by giving them something that hasn't been proven yet to be 100% safe or effective because they've got how many millions, hundreds of millions of people vaccinated and the thing is just keeps coming and coming with a vengeance. But like I said, thank God we know Jesus and he'll get us through whatever it is we need to get through, but we, we have to be careful and and uh, try to keep ourselves safe to the best of our ability. Of course, the Bible says in the end times there's going to be plagues, and this is, a, this is like a plague, and wars, and rumors of wars, and there'll be all kinds of chaos, and we're seeing that. We're seeing that. We're seeing <laughs> it's so ironic because... It, the government and the press, for the most part, they want to blame the unvaccinated people for spreading the virus. But yet there's been a million and a half, over a million and a half people come into the country illegally who, for the most part, haven't been tested or vaccinated. And yet they're being released all over the country. So figure that one out. <laughs> you know? It's just, you can't, you just can't. You just try to figure it out. And you can't say, I don't try to watch the news too much because I think to myself, they, what are they going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You can talk all you want. And uh, it is what it is right now as far as the government's concerned. But we thank God that Jesus has a government and his government is not of this world. But we'll see, anyway, how the program goes today. The last few weeks, we were losing our connection, and so if I disappear, if you don't hear me for like a minute or two, I ha- I have to log back in, and I have to call back in, and it's, it's a process to get back in once I get disconnected, but if you don't hear me, just wait. I'll be back. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm sometimes everything goes smoothly, and then sometimes it just, good, thank you. This sounds good so far. Thank you. Yeah. So like I said, if all of a sudden there's dead air, just know that I got disconnected and I'm trying to get back in. But I've been successful the last few times getting back in after about a minute or two. So just bear with me. If you don't hear anything, just wait and we'll come back. But we have some interesting topics that we're going to talk about today. And, you know, Jesus says, people say, oh, Jesus comes to my house and Jesus takes me to heaven and he sits down in my living room and we talk and I go to heaven. I go to heaven several times a week, and I even go to hell and I see hell. And but Jesus warned, Jesus warned, that if they say to you, "I'm here and I'm there," he's not there because <laughs> he came once. He came once, and he said he's coming again. So he didn't say, "I'm coming down to meet Jesse Jepantis." And when Kenneth Hagen was alive, he used to say that Jesus was always coming to visit him. Well, either the Bible's true or it's not. So if Jesus said, I'm coming again, it, it didn't mean that he was coming again and again and again and again and again. No, he's not. And also, the Bible says that we're not supposed to talk to dead people either. So... I always wonder about these testimonies where people say they go and they go up to heaven and and, uh, like we'll hear some of these audios today from Jesse Duplantis. And they say, well, oh, I saw Abraham and I saw I was talking to the apostle Paul. Well, how could you be talking to a dead person when the Bible says you're not supposed to talk to dead people? So I don't buy it. I don't believe these stories. I don't believe they're true. I don't know if these people, some of them are just outright liars. Or some of them have a very good imagination. Or they were smoking something. Or they were tripping on something. I don't know. Or some of them are just crazy, I think. They're just delusional. And so they imagine that. They're seeing all these things. And a lot of the things that they say they're seeing, it, they're, it's not scriptural. So I'm not buying it. Also, I think if I, I was involved with the uh, Robert Laird's ministry when I was in the Word of Faith movement, and he was a guest on my television program back in 1986 when I had I had a television program that was broadcast in Denver in Aspen, Colorado. It was on the local cable station. And I did that for two years and I had different guests and he, he happened to be in town one weekend and he said he would come over and do an interview. So I, I had him do two programs and then we got to be kind of friendly. I mean, we weren't best friends or anything like that, but we knew each other of course, because we spent time together. And then I went to uh some of his conferences that he had, and then he was starting a ministerial fellowship that was being run by a man, Jim Caseman, which I don't I don't know if Jim is still around. Very nice man. But anyway, then they would license you and ordain you and give you credentials, which the, in the long run, credentials don't mean that much, really. <laughs> You know, you get your your credentials from Jesus. That's really who you get your because I I've met so many credential, licensed, ordained people that were a bunch of con artists. So it doesn't mean that much. But anyway, and it, and it turned out that of course Roberts Lairdon had one of the biggest testimonies at the time of going to heaven when he was a young boy and he. Jesus took him up there and he was playing in the River of Life and he sat on Jesus' lap. And then I asked him, I said, well, what does Jesus look like? So you, when you ask these people, even when Jesse Duplantis, he's trying to describe Jesus, but they never really describe him. They say, Robert said that, well, he has brown hair and He's tall, but they never really go into great detail about his facial features or things that you could say, well, I could do a drawing and then this is what Jesus looked like. They never really give you a total description of what Jesus looks like, but Robert's then he, had, he wrote this book and he had this best-selling book and he was being invited all over the world and he was he started a church in California he had a Bible school and uh, he wrote the series the God's General series and we liked Roberts we liked him very much there was always something though there was always something there. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, and anyway, after a few years, and then i was when I was going to some of these conferences, I didn't like the way the people were behaving. People were standing on chairs, well-dressed people in these auditoriums and standing up on chairs and throwing their fists up in the air and screaming at the devil and- and for long periods of time with Roberts at the head of it in in the front and I was thinking to myself, I don't something this isn't right. And so I left the organization. I didn't want to be associated with that organization anymore. And then it turned out that he was having a homosexual relationship with his youth pastor, a man, who was living they were living together in the same house. And I don't know how long this was going on, but it was going on, and we were all shocked when we found out. We had heard rumors before, but of course, you can't believe rumors. You have to have evidence. And then the evidence came out, and he lost his church and his Bible college and whatever, and he was supposed to—if he didn't get caught, I don't know how he— Finally, got caught. It probably would have gone on, but can you imagine that these two guys are getting up in the morning, and they're go, and they and they're go, driving over to the church and the Bible school, and this is the pastor and this is the youth pastor. It, it's just bizarre. Like, what's this guy thinking? So, I just came to the the conclusion that he was delusional himself for for uh, even saying that he went to heaven how do you go to heaven and you're sitting on Jesus's lap and all this, and then you're sleeping with a man, your youth pastor, you're a man, and you're sleeping with a man. No, I don't buy it. <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. Anyway, he's made a comeback, and he has a church in Orlando, and I think he started one up again in California. And he's going all over the world preaching, but he's never repented of his Story about going to heaven. He still tells it, but I don't believe for one minute it's true. And so th- that's another reason why you see you you join organizations. And back then, I don't believe this now, but back then they told you you had to have a covering, and that it was important to be licensed with an organization and this type of thing. But you can't put you can't put your trust in any organization or any man because you see the Bible says cursed is the man who puts his trust in man. You can have all the coverings you want and belong to organizations, and you see this organization that Robert Slairedon started. Look what happened to him, and another organization I belonged to, where I was at a church I was at in the uh, 1990s, and they had a ministerial fellowship which I joined and. They licensed you, too. And so then the head of the organization was accused of molesting an 11-year-old girl, which they settled out of court. They never even went to court. They denied it. But if, you, if you, you're not guilty, you fight it. You don't pay the person off for their silence. So that's why I have a problem with people that go, they're heavily into these shepherding things. And they tell you that you have to have a covering and somebody has to be watching out for you. And uh, I've been around enough to know that anybody's capable of anything. So <laughs> I'm covered with the blood of Jesus. Thank you very much. And and uh, we have to answer to God. Either we have a Holy Spirit that convicts, convicts us of, of sin or we don't. So I don't have, care how many people are your coverings or whatever. They're not watching you 24-7. God is. So. It's better to be have your freedom in Jesus because men will let you down, but Jesus won't. So there were some interesting things in the news, some very interesting things in the news here. One of the interesting things was Pat Robertson, now Pat Robertson of the 700 Club, and of course, he has a university, Regents University, which is heavily endowed. I think, I think they might have like a billion dollars in endowments. From he owned a, the Family Network one time, the Family Channel. Remember that? And then he sold it. And uh, of course, he when he sold it, he didn't give the money back to the people that helped him buy it. <laughs> No, I think he put it in the endowment for his university. And uh but you can look at their nine nineties, which is they have to write these reports out to the government once a year. And there's a website called nine ninety Finder. And if you go on there you can look at the uh Christian broadcasting networks nine ninety they take in about 200 to $300 million a year. I don't know what they do with all that money because they right now, they only have one program. Of course, they're on a lot of networks, but that's a lot of money and all, and then all the money he's getting for the people that have been attending his university. So I could think of a lot of other organizations to give money to besides they have enough money. And, uh, but yet, when you go on this website, 990 finder, you'll see a lot of the big ministries really take in the bulk of the money and they don't mind asking you for it and holding their telethons. And they keep telling you that they need money. And, uh, people are very generous. Twenty, two hundred million to 300 million a year is a lot of money. And, <laughs> you know, and, uh, anyway, they, they, uh, Pat Robertson and his family became very wealthy. Anyway, Pat's 91. He should have hung it up a long time ago because he started saying r- ridiculous things that didn't make any sense, really. And it was an embarrassment. And But this guy, he wouldn't give it up. He, wa- he was hanging in there. Finally, he gave it up this week. So here's a news report from NBC News about it.
2: And at this point... I think it's time for me to make the announcement that I will no longer be the host of the 700 Club after, I think, 54 years of hosting the program...
3: There it is. Last thing before we go tonight. There's a wonderful song by Mark Knopfler called Ticket to Heaven. It's about a lonely heart who sends every last cent to the preacher on the TV. One of the lyrics goes like this. I send what I can to the man from the ministry. He's part of heaven's plan, and he talks to me. There's nothing left for luxuries, nothing left to pay my heating bill, but the good Lord will provide. I know he will. We were thinking about this song today in light of Pat Robertson making that announcement that he's retiring. He's 91. He graduated from Yale Law School, former Republican presidential candidate. He founded the 700 Club on TV and over the years became a very wealthy man by selling, well, mostly faith and hope. And along the way, he often revealed his thinking and philosophy. It might not have been exactly what Jesus had in mind.
2: There's never been a civilization ever in history that has embraced homosexuality and uh, uh, has survived. The Bible says, if any man will not work, let him not eat. Now, uh, that didn't say, if any man will not work, let him go to the soup kitchen and let the government pick up the tab. Something happened a long time ago in Haiti they got together and swore a pact to the devil they said we will serve you if you'll get us free from the french the people of color have to rise up and overtake their oppressors and then having gotten the whip handle, if i can use that term then to instruct their white neighbors how to behave now that's critical race theory. What is this mac and cheese? Is that a black thing?
0: It is a black thing, Pat.
2: Well, you could become a Muslim and you could beat her.
0: <laughs> but in lieu of that.
2: <laughs> you don't want to go to Saudi Arabia? No, no, I'm talking about the cheating. He cheated on you. Well, he's a man, okay. There are a bunch of people who are just bombs, And if these people are out drugging themselves, What I'm starting to do, you've got a couple of of same-sex guys kissing, you like that. Well, that makes me want to throw up. America, if you want to bring the judgment of God on this nation, you keep this stuff up.
3: Pat Robertson leaves behind the empire he built on comments like that, retiring at the age of 91.
1: (laughs) Well, of course, some of the comments were very true. Some of the comments were a little out there. That's for sure, but he he was known to make some ridiculous comments, like he made this one comment where a lady a man asked, "Well, my wife has Alzheimer's, and she's in a nursing home, so is it okay for me to divorce her and get remarried? Oh no, I'm supposed to stay in sickness and in health. That's usually the vow. And he said, yeah, he was telling the guy yeah, it was okay to do that. Well, it's not okay. And he, he said some crazy things. Of course, you heard some of those quotes. And some of them, yes, were right. And then some of them were wrong. But Pat Robertson, he has, I think he's got two or three sons. And Gordon is the son that's going to take over for him. I know he had another son. I was there. In fact, I was on the 700 Club back when Ben Kenchlow was there. And I was on there giving my testimony. And uh, he had the other son at that time was, I can't remember his name right now, but he was the one that was running the place when I was there for the day, which they were very nice. They flew you out there and they put you up in a hotel and uh, you were a guest. So very, they treated their guests very nice, but Pat wasn't there that day. I think Danuta Soderman was there at the time I was there. And Ben, Ben Kenchlow, very affable guy. But it was beautiful then, the uh, the buildings and... I don't think they had the university back then when I was there, but anyway, it was a, it was an interesting experience, and <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it, I have to say. I, I can't say that I agree with everything that they did afterward. I think they probably started out in, in the right way to try to do things for the Lord and to try to preach the gospel, and then like everything else, they get carried away when they get too much money, and they kind of lose their focus. About what they're supposed to be doing and how they're supposed to be running their ministries, and they they were big on having telethons and that kind of thing. When they they had they were selling airtime too. So at the time they had their network, they were making a lot of money from the networks, which they do. The airtime is very expensive, so it can be very lucrative. And you don't really have to do telethons, but. That's how they raise their funds, and it's been very, very successful for them. Still is, still is. When you can take in that that amount of money, two hundred to three hundred million, still is. There was an interesting comment last night that uh, Tucker Carlson was making about this abortion thing. Of course, we know that Texas passed this law, the heartbeat law, which after six weeks, when there's a heartbeat, they won't let you have an abortion. Well, it's a start, of course. There shouldn't be any abortions. but And then there's there's people that have been going before Congress, and they've been testifying, and some women have been saying how happy they were that they had abortions. Oh, the thing is, don't get pregnant, and then you don't have to worry about having an abortion. But they use it from for the most part, they use it as a form of birth control. And it's horrible when you think about it. It's just the whole thing is just horrible. But I thought this was an interesting commentary that he did last night. And also that (laughs) they're they're saying that they don't want to say that women women are the only one that gets pregnant. You hear now when when uh, a woman gets pregnant, the man says, we're pregnant. I was, I'm was, i like, no, I don't think so. I didn't know a man. You're not pregnant. Your wife is pregnant, but you're not pregnant. I always scratch my head when I hear that one. But now they're saying because of these transgender people that a man can get pregnant. And you can't say that. You can't say that because it's discrimin- you discriminate against them. But anyway, here's the commentary.
4: So with that feature of human nature, which never changes, with that in mind, take a look at this tape from yesterday's hearing before the House Oversight Committee. The topic was legal abortion, but because it is the year 2021 and we're all convinced we're cats, the conversation soon turned to the newly established scientific fact that men can get pregnant. Watch this.
0: And I just wanted to acknowledge a lot of people are being left out of this conversation today because, as we know, people get pregnant and not just women. But I hear people over and over and over again say women get pregnant, but that's excluding people that should be a part of this conversation.
4: Yeah, you don't want to exclude anyone. And it turns out that even in 2021, there are people out there who are still claiming that only women get pregnant, and they'd better stop claiming that or else Amanda Amanda Presto just learned this. Presto was a writer at the Daily Wire, and by the way, a woman. So she tweeted this thought crime, assuming that she had biology on her side. She wrote this, quote, Demanding others call you by your preferred pronouns and growing out your hair does not make you a woman. Stop demeaning womanhood. No, Amanda, you stop demeaning pregnant men. For her attack on the pregnant man community, Twitter shut Amanda Presto down we are cats and that's all there is to it and that's true across the ocean in great britain the head of the labor party in the uk has now declared that men too can have cervixes because of course they can meow a few days later a senior member of the labor party was asked whether she agreed that men can have cervixes she was asked on television watch this uncomfortable moment is it transphobic to say only women have a cervix good morning Good morning,
0: Nick, and it's great to talk to you. Good to have you on. I, I just think that this issue has just become so divisive and toxic, and it pits people against each other, both groups who face discrimination in society, women and trans women. And I just find this debate incredibly unhelpful and, and, and unproductive, to be totally honest.
4: Is it transphobic, yes or no?
0: Look, is it is it transphobic? Look, I just I don't even know how to start answering these
4: questions. (laughs) Oh come on, Rachel Reeves, Shadow Commissioner, whatever you are, the Labour Party. It's a simple question. It's not a debate. Do men have (laughs) cervixes? But she can't bring herself to say it. On the other hand, she doesn't dare note the obvious, which is that the entire conversation is completely insane. So she breathes heavily. She rumps quite a bit and tries to move on to the next topic. The Washington Post is hoping to avoid moments of uncertainty like this. So Jeff Bezos' newspaper has just issued a new style guidance to all of its reporters. Here's what it says, quote, If we say pregnant women, we exclude those who are transgender and non-binary, which, of course, is not defined. So no more pregnant women in the Washington Post. That's an outdated, inherently offensive category like secretaries and housewives. And this is true in hospitals, too, across the country. Some physicians are now punishing subordinates who recognize biological differences between men and women. Dr. Laura Chong for example, a pediatric trainee at the Sydney Children's Hospital's network recently told the New York Times that healthcare workers should not use terms like ovaries and uterus. Quote, you can just say reproductive organs, Chong said, is that it may actually be medically relevant whether somebody has ovaries and a uterus. Reproductive organs might not be specific enough. But honestly, in 2021, that's a conclusion the CDC has reached. The center just released a graphic pointing out that, quote, only 31% of pregnant people have been vaccinated. Not pregnant women, pregnant people. At yesterday's House oversight hearing, Gloria Steinem showed up to prove that she's still alive and still relevant somehow. For 50 years, Steinem has been, as she describes it, defending women. And then she was constantly reminding us, and this is a quote, if men could get pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament. Oh, but now men can get pregnant. So the script has changed a little bit. Here was Gloria Steinem, who we should note is now telling us that absolutely anybody can get pregnant, and therefore anyone can get an abortion.
2: Watch. What's happening in Texas is not only a local issue or a women's issue. It's a step against democracy, which allows us to control our own bodies and our own voices. Remember, when Hitler was elected and he was elected, his very first official act was to padlock the family planning clinics and declare abortion a crime against the state. Mussolini did exactly the same thing because they knew that controlling reproduction and nationalizing women's bodies is the first step in a controlling state, an all-controlling state.
4: Turns out Gloria Steinem was always pretty dumb, but back when she was 35, nobody noticed. But rewriting history? Can't let you do that. Sorry, you're not Wikipedia. Actually, Adolf Hitler was an enthusiastic eugenicist, just like Margaret Sanger, who founded Planned Parenthood. He encouraged abortion, according to <laughs> almost everyone who studied this. Jeffrey Tumala, for example, a law professor who's has written a lot about the Nuremberg trials. Hitler, like Gloria Steinem, supported abortion. Not just as a matter of physical autonomy, but as a way to keep women working and contributing to the economy. Quote, the Nazis preferred that the Eastern European workers not become pregnant so they would not be taken out of the workforce. They took measures to identify pregnant workers and to encourage or pressure them into making use of the abortion services the Nazis provided.
1: Yeah. So there you are. These are the times that we're living in. And it just gets crazy and crazier. And you heard that lady from Rachel Reeves, I think her name is, from England, and she's in the government. And that wasn't – it sounds like an actress when she's saying, I, I I, just don't know how to answer that question. She doesn't know how to a- answer that question. And that's how insane it is, is that they want you to think now they're changing all the, the – uh, ways to describe people you can't say a pregnant a woman is pregnant you have to say pregnant people and you can't say only a woman can get pregnant you can't say that anymore so i feel sorry for the next generation i really do if if your children can't be educated at home by you and you have to send them out to these schools And the things they're teaching these children, it's terrible. It really is. Because when I went to school, we had recess, which I don't even think they do that. I don't even know if they have recess anymore, where you went outside and you played. And you played jacks, and you played hopscotch, and you played jump rope, and you played volleyball. And it was an innocent time. We didn't have to think about pronouns. And we didn't have to think about sex education, which we didn't even have we didn't even ever talk about sex education. I think when I was a senior in high school, our health teacher we had a then I had a health class, and she told us to be virgins to stay virgins until we got married. Imagine that this wasn't a Christian school; it was a public school, and I never heard I came from an ape either until I got to college. When I got to college and it was required that you took biology, which I wasn't interested in biology, but you had to take it if you were were studying liberal arts. And when I got into the biology class, the professor told me that I came from an ape. (laughs) (laughs) I never heard that before. Of course, this is back in the late sixties or nineteen seventy or something—a long time ago. <laughs> but that's what I knew. I don't. I feel sorry for these children today because it's too much. How can they handle all this critical race theory and sex education, and then the pronouns and don't say this and don't say that? No. It's you. You can't even believe it's so bizarre. Yet you you hear Gloria Steinem saying, well, it's our bodies and we should be able to do what we want. But yet they don't feel that way when they're running after you with a hypodermic needle. All of a sudden it's not your body anymore. So that's how messed up the world is. I thought that was very, very interesting. But we'll see what happens. It, It would be wonderful if they could ban abortions Totally, I think it's one of the worst crimes against society that there is to do these, to do what they're doing to babies, and a lot of these things can be prevented, but they want to prevent it after the fact, after there's a life there, which is is brutal, really. But the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ has its job set out to do, because you can't, you can't change the way people think unless they get born again. You see how crazy they think. And it's not rational thinking. It's delusional thinking for the most part. But once you get born again, those scales fall off your eyes and your mind gets renewed. And you see things differently. We can see things clearly and we can discern the times we're living in and we can discern what's really going on and people that don't know the Lord can't, they can't discern truth from lies and it's it's a sad state of affair but we have our work cut out for us because the only way really you can pass all kinds of laws and and uh, you can do all those things and, not, and laws are good but most people don't follow laws, and you have to change people's hearts. And so then they write, God says, I write my law on your heart, and then you know right from wrong. So it's our job to witness to people and to tell people the good news about Jesus because they need Jesus now more than ever, and they need to see real Christians, not these phonies that they're seeing for the most part on television, the the con artists and the scam artists that they're seeing. So that's why there has to be a change and we can't promote in any way, shape or form these con artists and make them look like they're legitimate members of the body of Christ when they're not at all. So, but, uh, Kenneth Copeland, now he has this 24 hour network. I think it's called the victory channel and, I have it on my satellite. And so he did a telethon. He's trying to raise money for his network. And he had on Jesse Duplantis and he had on that Hank Kuhneman and Lance Walnow, and uh, Mario Murillo, a oh, terrible that Mario joined up with this group of people. But so Jesse Duplantis made this comment here. He made this comment on the uh, program. Here it is.
5: The chase. It's not, it's not being critical, it's being truthful. I've learned something about Jesus. I used to think you couldn't say nothing because you're not walking in love. And Jesus would tell his disciples, that guy's a snake, a hypocrite, and a viper. I said, now Jesus, you're talking about the man, you know. And, and he's facing behind his back. He said, it's not being critical, it's being truthful. So I have been preaching 45 years, and I've never had a financial deficit. Not one time. And people say, how'd you do that? I was in a big old preacher's conference, and, and uh, we were all sitting there. I don't want to know what's the biggest donations i ever given to your ministry. You know, I didn't say nothing. Finally, John Hager was there. He said, and I love John. John's a blessing. He said, Jesse, uh, what's the biggest donations I've ever given to you? I said, trust. Whoa. The biggest one, trust. Big because, you see, if you don't have trust, you have nothing. See what I'm saying? If the people can't believe your word. I honestly believe this. That the reason why Jesus hadn't come is because people are not giving the way God told them to give. Mm. You see what I'm saying? I mean, when you understand, it, you can speed up the time. The Lord all the time says, speed up the time. Jesus sped up the time for Mary at the wedding of Canaan. I mean, she wanted him to turn the water into wine. and He, he says, it's not my time. But, you know, mama put the pressure on it. Yeah, mamas can put the pressure on you, boy. You know, I carried you to my body for nine months, and your daddy didn't like you, but I saved your life. All kind of crazy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> to move you by faith to give, not mm-hmm. through an emotional response, mm-hmm. but to get Jesus, to spe- or the Father, to speed up the time. Right. See? And he wants to do that. I mean, you've got to understand, Jesus didn't stay in heaven hardly any time. I mean, when he re- resurrected and ascended, I mean, you think his father would say, well, let's have some fun. No, no, i got to get down there. I'll see you later. I'll be back after a while. Boom. So he could help out Mary. That, that that girl married that, see? So when I'm saying this, this is not about money. And I'm going to say something. something I'm to get mad about it. I mean, I've been nailed. You know, when I became friends with Kenneth Copeland, and I love Kenneth. I don't blame name, that on me. He <laughs> said, he I'm said, in the middle. He said this. Gloria actually said, she said, Jess. She actually called me by my real name, Jess. She says, Jess, uh, our people are going to love you, but our enemies are going to hate you. Now, I have been persecuted, but I could care less because Percy ain't cute. I know. So it do not make no difference to me. So, I mean, you know, if he gets nailed, if you notice, if he gets nailed, on, on if I, I'm next. Yeah. It comes. And uh, so this guy was on, I was on television. He said, I heard you was a millionaire. I said, that's not right. That's not true. He said, yes, it." I said, no, it's not. Malta. Now, add that to it, you'll be (laughs) all right.
0: Oh, he couldn't handle that. He liked to have
5: had a fit. And I said, You mess with me, I'll buy this station and I'll fire you. Oh, he didn't like that. Uh, You know, that was a little fleshy, but it felt
3: good. It
5: (laughs) just did. You know what I realized that I will not move people emotionally to jail. Right, no. I'm going to have people move according to the Word of God. What is God saying to you? And I really believe this. If people would call this number and put this victory all over the world on every available voice, every available outlet, the Father, he would say, Jesus, go get us. Yeah, Because, you see, he wants to see us as much as we want to see him. You see what I'm saying? And so what has hindered all these things is uh, uh, it's because people are not doing in the financial realm, because we live in an economic world, what God's called them to do. You know, he's called us to do that. So I don't have a problem with giving. I don't have a problem with receiving. It did not make any difference. because I just made up my mind, I want Jesus to come. Now, uh, they said, do you own a jet? Yes. You can have it the day after the rapture. It's yours. Because Jesse, Jesse is no. going to heaven. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah. So don't forget now, friends, that when this program's over, send Kenneth Copeland Victory Channel some money because if you send them some money, it'll hur- Jesus will hurry up and come back. <laughs> I mean, talk about delusional. No, I didn't really mean to. I didn't really mean that. That was a joke. <laughs> Can you imagine? And these are supposed to be the so-called people, the the uh, preachers that. People listen to if you if you look at the uh, testimony Jesse Duplantis did four months ago, he retold his testimony of going to heaven. He's got six hundred thousand views on that testimony. Yeah, from somebody that talks like that. Yeah, that tells Copeland and Lance Wall now and. Mario Marillo and Hank Kuhneman and all of them are all standing around and these are supposed to be the top people, the top prophets and and TV preachers in the land, according to most of the so called church. And you didn't bat an eye when he made a statement like that that give money to this victory channel and God'll tell Jesus to hurry up and get down there? <laughs> Oh, dear. Like you have to say, you have to say to yourself, if you're not totally sheared over, you have to say to yourself, now wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. But then you wonder how many people actually said, oh, well, I better get, I better get out my checkbook, and they always tell you, what's God telling you to do? Well this is one way you know what God's telling you to do is that God speaks to you at home when you're not watching television and you're not listening to some TV preacher on the internet telling you to, telling you to send in an offering. God's not telling you. God, They're telling you to give an offering. They're telling you what's God saying. Because for the most part, I would say that, The people that watch Kenneth Copeland's Victory Channel aren't sitting at home when they're not watching it. Say they don't have it on, and they're not sitting at home saying, I think I'm going to write Kenneth Copeland a check. Maybe some of them do. Maybe some of them actually do hear from God about who to send money to. But, no, most people they send money when some preachers telling you you have to do this and you have to do that. And you're going to get this and you're going to get that. Well, that's not God talking because if God's going to tell you to send the ministry money, he's going to tell you when you're driving in your car or you're at home, but you don't, not when you're listening to some TV preacher telling you to send it in. That's not God talking. That's them talking, but it's called manipulation. They say it's God, but it's not God because, first of all, God doesn't even talk like that. He doesn't say, you better send Kenneth Copeland some money, or you better send Jim Baker some money, or you better send Mike Murdoch some money because I'm, I'm telling you, and they're, and they're telling you. I'm telling them, and then they're telling you. Well, that's not how it works because we're all able to hear from God for ourselves about who to be generous to, And uh, it's better to listen to the Lord and then you know you're not being manipulated by some preacher to do something probably you can't afford and then something you're going to be sorry for later. But they have all their tricks because he says that too. What's God telling you to do? Well, he's not telling me to send Kenneth Copeland any money, that's for sure, because he's already a billionaire. What does he need money for? Let him spend his own money on his network. Amen. (laughs) Anyway, here's Jesse Bragging. Jesse Bragging about his house, which he owns, a thirty I think it's a thirty five or thirty six thousand square foot house and I don't know how many jets. Here's Jesse Bragging. Remember,
6: construction began in October of two thousand and eight. The house has thirty five thousand square feet of covered space. Inside, there will be five bedrooms, more than seven bathrooms, and a home theater. Parish records show the cost is $3 million. The owner of the house, not Duplantis, but his ministry, Jesse Duplantis Ministries. Owners expect the money to be used for the poor and needy, not for, for huge uh, mansions for the pastor. Pete Evans works for Ole Anthony at the Trinity Foundation. Both say Duplantis teaches and lives the prosperity gospel. You give X amount of dollars you're going to get that multiplied and given back to you and so it's kind of a uh, Las Vegas heavenly Las Vegas in one sense according to the planets the gospel has worked for him
5: so I'm driving down highway 167 going toward Lafayette Louisiana this is years and years ago and the law and it was a citation jet that flew over my head well I passed by the airport and the Lord said look up since you want to see something
6: And I looked up, and the first thing, he said, I'm going to give you one like that. Duplantis says the Lord told him he would get his own private plane. I'm figuring, John, how I'm going to pay for this. How I'm going to sustain this. Because
5: I'm thinking of my Toyota. And the Lord set me free with this statement. Jesse, I didn't ask you to pay for it. I asked you to believe for it.
6: And years later, Duplantis got that plane. Here's a picture of it photographer says he took it to the state of Washington in 2007, and another picture claimed to have been taken in London again in 2007. Duplantis is currently using his third different jet and has been a frequent flyer. Duplantis blocks his flight records, but Fox 8 News managed to get a copy. Since 2000, duplanis has used his plane nearly 2,500 times, a plane wow. owned by his ministry.
4: It appears
6: as though on the surface, as though Duplantis is using his jet to fly, to go on vacation from time to time. Like in 2009, when Jesse Duplantis ministry's plane took a 17-day trip to Hawaii, hopping from island to island. We spoke to one airplane operator who has the same jet as Duplantis. By his calculations, this Hawaii trip cost his ministry $40,000 to gas up, fly, and store the plane at the airport in Hawaii for 17 days. Records show he took an 11-day Hawaii trip this year, too, in early March. Jesse Duplantis Ministries' jet has also taken 11 different trips to Las Vegas. He's also been to Canada, England, but the majority of his flights do appear to be for church work. If a CEO of GM needs a
5: plane, or if a CEO of whatever, that's okay with me. Well, if a CEO of a ministry
6: needs a plan to go preach the gospel
5: and get back to his church, that's okay with me.
6: Do Plantis' congregants say his big house and private plane don't bother them? That's his personal business. I think God is
0: blessing him. Uh, he gives to people and uh,
6: he gets back. Mm-hmm. Whatever you give, you get back. While the church is paying for the house and plane, his parishioners say they don't believe their donations fund his lifestyle. I don't think church money is going towards that. But uh, I'd love to give to it,
0: because whatever you sow is what you receive. So I'd love a big, beautiful house, and I'd love a
6: plane, too. The Trinity Foundation says there's no truth behind the prosperity gospel, and Duplantis' actions mirror many televangelists across the country. Unfortunately,
7: this is becoming more and more common, where the preachers are using,
5: at best, suspicious business dealings to hurt the church and benefit themselves.
6: A huge home, a plane that's sometimes used for personal use—all benefits the Trinity Foundation says shouldn't be possible for a man
1: of God. He doesn't believe in all. Amen. Well, if you're if you have your own business and you're making the money legitimately, then it's nobody's business what size your house is or what kind of a plane you drive. But if you're a pastor and you're collecting tithe money and you're using the tithe money, then to build your parsonage, which he put the house in the name of the ministry, so of course he doesn't have to pay property taxes and they consider it a parsonage. Well, no. You you don't build yourself a thirty five thousand room house on the tithes and offerings of your church and then by a I don't know how much his jet cost, I'm not sure. I'm sure it's twenty million or thirty million, who knows? A lot. A lot of money. and uh, But if he's taking up seeds at his church, they do that seed sowing and then they do the 10% thing and then he's using that money for himself. No, that's not right. It's not right. But I don't know if he has any other businesses. Of course, like I said, if if, if he was building that house with his own money, then he wouldn't have Put it in the name of the ministry. Apparently, he used ministry money or church money to help build it. I I don't know. I think you could really get lost. What would you do with a thirty-five thousand square foot house? It, you know, <laughs> that's a pretty big house, and it's only him and his wife. So. I don't know what they do with all that space. That's a lot of space, but here here's a famous clip that came out a few years ago. i You might remember this when they talked about demons, why why they had to have expensive jets. him and Kenneth Copeland.:
5: Copeland, <laughs> I was flying home from a meeting, and I had come out of a glorious meeting. I just spent me and my were preaching. I had a glorious meeting. So I was, for lack of a better way to say it, I was seriously high. Said, people yes. were saved, touched, and blessed. Out in the plane that God so graciously gave us, we were flying home. As I was going home, the Lord real quickly said, Jesse, do you like your plane? You know, I thought, that's an odd statement. He gave. I said, well, certainly, Lord. He said, do you really like it? And I thought, well, yes, Lord. He said, then he said this, so that's it? I didn't know how to handle it for I went, What? He said, you're going to let your fate stagnate? And when he said that, that shocked me. I went, whoa, wait. I literally unbuckled my seatbelt my plane. I stood up. My pilots looked at and said, do you need something? I said, no, no, I'm talking to God right now. He, just <laughs> <laughs> he went back to flying. I said, Lord, I don't think I was letting my fate stagnate. He said, so this is all I could ever do. I said, you want, you, you're trying to tell me something. He said, go to the book of Amos. So if you had the Book of Amos, I want to read the scripture. Yes, sir? sir.
7: You couldn't have done that on an
5: airliner. No, sir. No way.
7: You stand up and say what would you say, Lord. No. Okay. No. Yeah. And the guy said no, sir. What the hell does he think he's doing? <laughs> he <laughs> can't do that. You can't do that. No, no. But this, this is so important. And those of you that are that are just now coming into these things, um, in in the first place. Jesse and, 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 and I and, and others, and Keith Moore and Creflo and all of us, they, the world is in such a shape, we can't get there without this. That's yes, right. We've got to have this. We would have, to, the mess that the airlines are in today, I would have to stop. I'm being very conservative. At least 75 to 80, more like 90% of what we're doing, because you can't get there and from here. It's impossible. So we, we ha- and, and this was in such a good illustration. I just, mm-hmm. the, the Lord in, impressed me. That's why we're on that airplane. We can talk to oh, God. Course, we God. can, it's, we, we, it, it's, when I was flying for Oral Roberts, the uh, brother Deweese, my, my boss on the airplane, he said, now, Kenneth, this is sanctuary. It protects the anointing on, on um, uh, Brother Robert. Roberts. And he said, you keep your mouth shut. Don't talk to him unless he talks. Because when he's on a meeting he doesn't talk to anybody but God. Now Oral used to fly airlines. Right. But it, even back there then, man, it, it got to the place where it was agitating his spirit, sure. People coming up to him. He right. had become famous and they wanted him to pray for him and right. all that. You you can't you, you can't manage that today. Right. This dope filled world. Right, and get in an air get in a long tube with a bunch of demons. Right. That's exactly <laughs> and it's it's deadly. And and it works on your heart. It really does. (laughs) So Anyway, I I wanted to make that clear so the devil can't lie to you and say, See there, them freakers spending all that money, just just fat cats riding around. No, we're not. We're in business to do Listen, I could scratch my flying itch with my little single-engine open cockpit airplane. I just come home and fly around in that and scratch my flying itch. That doesn't have nothing to do with that. But right. We're in, we're, in, we're in soul business here, right? We've we got a dying world around us. Just, we got a dying nation around us. That's right. And we can't even get there on the airplane.
5: You can't. Can. Let, let me give you an example before I read the scripture. It, some people said, why do you need an airplane? It started out about a couple of weeks ago. I, I was in Fort Worth. I preached for, on a, a Sunday, a Friday night and Saturday, I was in Fort Worth preaching for Jerry Savell. Sunday morning, I was in Boston, Massachusetts. Monday, I was in New Orleans. Tuesday, I was in Chicago. Wednesday, I was in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thursday, I was in New Orleans. Friday, I was in San Antonio, Texas. Saturday, I was in New Orleans. Sunday, I was in another city. I actually have a Delta captain that lives close to my house. I brought him that schedule. I said, can you fly this? He said, no, and I wouldn't. <laughs> I, when do you sleep? We're about to fly. On the airplane. On the airplane. Come on. grab it, see. Now, when God is speaking this to me, he said, so this is all I could ever do. And I'm thinking, in, in myself, well, yeah, I mean, you know, this is a phenomenal aircraft you've given us. He said, then when he said, you're going to let your faith stagnate, now that caught my attention. When God tells you your faith stagnates, yeah. you better start listening. Yeah. So, and I thought, stagnating?
7: You okay. can't stay here. Yes. You got to do this or you're going to do this. He said
5: this, you're on control, cruise control. You're moving, but no longer by your power. See? That's what the DVD is. About. That's what that yeah, DVD can, is. Right. Yeah, he I said, see. you're moving, but no longer Jesse. by your uh, power. You see, you see, you're just doing this. Chapter two. But there were false problems.
1: <laughs> oh, I don't know how those poor people can stand it. How can Jesse and Kenneth stand Ever being on an airplane with demon people, no, they can't be around those kind of people. They're saying that they're they have to go out and preach the gospel to all the world, but yet they can't be on an airplane full of demons., oh, excuse me, I thought that i I thought that we're supposed to minister to people when we're in the ministry. <laughs> I thought that's what the ministry was all about, right, yeah. I do I do just fine. I don't have a private jet flying me all over the place because you can preach the gospel from anywhere. You can preach the gospel right from your own house. Get on social media. You can have thousands of people listening to you and you don't have to get you don't need 50 million dollars a year to run your ministry. But they fly all over. They go to each other's churches. They don't really do evangelistic work so to speak. Most of their ministry is going to different churches and collecting offerings, and they the only people they see are the ones that are sitting in the congregation. But actually, going out and doing evangelistic work out on the field, they don't really do that. And most—it's all about politics anyway, because they go. This one goes to their their church, and this one goes to their church, and they they switch, and they give each other offerings, and that's that's how it works. So you don't really need. A uh, fifty million dollar jet or whatever to do that kind of work. But that that's that was hysterical. It really was, but it kind of goes to show you where their heart is. Anyway, here's clip number one of Jesse's testimony of going to heaven.
5: And let me just say this: this is not me. I would not do this. I'm a man that uh, I have kept this very private. Uh, I've only done this three different times, one in 1988, when it happened, and then about, oh, five, six years later when we did the book, um, John Osteen asked if I would come, and he had just built his new facility, and it was about 8,100 people, and they were standing standing up. They didn't have a seat left, you know. And, uh, and then about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, Keith Moore asked me to say a few words about it, and I did. And the reason why, because it's very, very personal to me. Uh, this, that, this wonderful. It's not a vision; it's a trip, and I'll explain that. I mean, nothing wrong with a vision. Don't misunderstand me. But I mean, a physical. I got sucked out the room. Now, I, and uh, and I, I wrote a book called Close Encounters of the God Kind. I must say a couple of close encounters before I get into the heaven thing to make you understand where God was leading me at that time. So I was 39 years old. When this happened in 1988 in Magnolia, Arkansas, at the Magnolia Christian Center, I was preaching a revival there. Those days, you did a Sunday through Wednesday meeting. You know, Sunday. If y'all remember that, if you uh, way back when. And uh, and now I can prove all the other close encounters physically. I can't prove this because you're just going to have to believe it. But I don't want you to believe it because you like me. I want you to believe it because it touches your spirit. Check the Holy Ghost that's inside of you. Because St. John 16, verse 13 said, How be it when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you in all truth. And not some truth, but all truth. So I I want you to check this in your spirit, and I'm going to let God just do what he wants with me. Now, if you have the book and the different things, I may go a little different because I've learned something that when I spoke about it, in a book you can just write it all down and do different things. There were some things I was not allowed to reveal. Some I'm going to reveal tonight in some areas. But because that was what the Lord said to do. But it depends who comes, how God ministers to that individual. So he'll make me stay more on a, on a particular subject, because it's submitting to someone, that's just how that works. So in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, Isaiah was saying, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. That's a prophetic word because in those days, nothing could come out the holies of holies. You couldn't see. That was all closed off. You would die. And yet God was speaking a future thing that his train would come out of the holies of holies into the holy place, into the whole complete temple. What he was talking about was this New Testament church that we have today, that he was able to express his, his presence without you dying of it. God began to reveal himself to different people. He revealed himself to Adam, and he breathed into his nostrils. He did not breathe in his mouth. That's CPR. He breathed into his nostrils, and he breathed lives, which means me and you were in that. If you go to the book of Genesis, you'll find that. Lives, not just a life, lives. Things were being set up. Many, many men. Jacob had a, a phenomenal encounter with God. And then realize what was going on, and many, many people God showed himself to those that wanted to be and there are a lot of people want, but sometimes they have a, a second agenda. The reason why I haven't talked about it because I never wanted to exploit this thing. It was so precious and, and good to me, I didn't you know, and yet I had two Hollywood directors and two Hollywood producers offer me millions of dollars to do a film on it. I mean millions just upfront money plus percentages of whatever the the movie would do, and I turned it down because they wanted total rights because I would not allow anything untruthful in that. I just tell you what happened, and I believe that. I I, I don't add anything. So um, so I'm very serious about that because it's very precious. Then if you go over to the Revelations, you'll find out that John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day.
1: Notice he says he he doesn't want to exploit it. (laughs) Well, if you don't want to exploit it, why did you write a book? He wrote a book, and then when it happened, went on TBN, and he went and promoted his book. And so then he, that was years ago, I don't remember exactly when the story first came. It was quite a while back. And so then he decides that he's gonna resurrect the story. This was four months ago so when he decided he was going to talk about it again at his church. So if it was so precious to you, why would you even say anything about it? To bring glory to yourself? And of course these stories usually get attention for people because they people are interested. Yeah, six over six hundred thousand views on YouTube this testimony. So yeah, people are interested. And it draws attention to you. So if it was so precious to him, he wouldn't talk about it. He would just not talk about it. Of course, I don't believe it happened. He even says at one point that he doesn't, he, well, if it was really a vision, then I wouldn't have felt this and I wouldn't have felt that. So I think even he questions it too. I, I don't know if he was dreaming or what, but he definitely didn't get sucked up out of the ceiling, which he claims, and he went to heaven. No, that didn't happen. There's number two. I was sucked
5: out the room. I went, whoa! I mean, I literally hollered, whoa! I mean, you know, now what the vision? I, how did you get to the ceiling? I don't know. I don't know any of that. I'm like the Apostle Paul. I don't know what I was in my body, out of my body. All I know, I went through that roof, and I was put into this kind of a uh, looks like a ski car, or, but closed in. And it was the same blonde-headed angel that had talked to me in Jonesville, Louisiana. I went, hey, how you doing? He said, hi, Jesse. I said, where are we going? And and it was, I mean, we were moving at a phenomenal rate of speed. And I think the only reason why I was in that contraption was to protect me, not to protect the angel. Because I'm in a flesh body. See what I'm saying? I mean, traveling at a phenomenal rate. He said, you have an appointment with the Most High God. I said, I do. What did I do wrong? <laughs> now, I didn't put that in the book, but I asked him that. He said, you didn't do nothing wrong, otherwise you wouldn't be here. He said, we'll be there just in just a very short time. I, I I don't know how fast we were going. I knew we were moving. Glenn, we were moving, man. I mean, and all of a sudden, I, I began to kind of like feel the brakes slowing down, and And he just stopped. He said, and he opened the door. And when he opened the door, I was in the most beautiful place I ever seen in my entire life. I'd never seen reds like that, blues, purples, gold, grays. When I say color, I mean color like I've never seen in my life. Uh, Because there was no stain of sin on it. And I walked out. And the angel said, you're in paradise. I said, paradise? And I looked, and I could see the city, which seemed like millions of mansions all around it. And it's a three-place tier. There's the throne. There's the new Jerusalem. Then there's paradise. See, paradise looks like a country, beautiful green fields, valleys, mountains. And I was thinking in my mind, God, this looks a lot like earth. But the angel could hear me thinking. He said, it's the, the earth is the Lord's taste. I said, yeah, that's right. I said, man, glory to God. And you can't use praise phrases because they do it. You know how we say praise the Lord? No, glory. I went, glory to God. He goes, glory to God, glory to God. And I go, glory to God. Everybody around me goes, glory to You just got to watch what you say because they do it glory to God, and I'm shouting, and I look, and I, and I felt like the kneel, he said, do not kneel before me, you have an appointment with the most high God, and I looked, and I'm just standing there, it Just, I just couldn't get over how beautiful, it was vast, it was here, heaven's a planet, it's about the best way I can describe it in the natural, and I I don't know what to do. And I, and I wanted to say, praise God, but I knew, but I did it anyway. I went, praise God. He goes, praise God. Yeah, I mean, and he didn't have wings, this, this angel, but there was a lot of them I did. And I mean, people start praising God. And here comes another one of them contraptions that i then. And it comes, I don't know who this this person comes out and this man goes,
0: I made it. I made it. I can't believe I made it. And he fell
5: on the ground and started kissing the ground. I made it. I made it. I thought, yeah, but you see, he didn't have clothes like I did. He had a gown on. How you know the people is clothes, the uh, the clothes of office, like if in the military. You know a general when you see him. You know a colonel when you see him. You know a lieutenant colonel when you see him, a full bird colonel. You know, and they that that, that, that clothes of office dictates their position. They're in heaven. But this man had a gown. There was another angel who said, let me guide you. Now, people were lining up, heading for that city as fast as they could. But they didn't have gowns. Some of them had gowns, but most of them had big robes on, gorgeous robes with top stitching. Beautiful stuff. I mean, just, and I thought, man, look at the clothes in there. But all of a sudden, I saw the people with the gowns, they kind of get close, and they'd get out of line. And, and, And the angels would move them over to where the river of life was. And they would they would eat a piece of fruit and take the leaves and do this. And I said, well, they're not going to go to the throne? He said, yes. But he said, the great God Jehovah is merciful. But they didn't live the way they were supposed to live. But the great God Jehovah was merciful. They will learn and eventually get to the throne.
1: Oh, yeah, sure. They didn't live the way they were supposed to live, so they can't go and see God yet until they go through some kind of a purification or something what does that sound like that sounds like catholic purgatory since when does it, it, does it say anywhere in scripture that when you get to heaven you can't see god until you go through some kind of a process It's ridiculous anyway i i never heard do you is there any scripture for going to heaven in a cable car i don't think so that's another phony <laughs> phony part of the testimony Here's part three.
5: And I thought, man, I am. something going wrong with me. I'm getting here and so. And then when I got back, I checked it out in the book of Isaiah. He said he gives us a garment of salvation and a robe of righteousness, which is totally two separate things. And I physically saw that with my own eyes. Now, in the book of Isaiah, you ought to go read it. It's a garment of salvation. Which means to show that they were saved, and a robe of righteousness. Now, as I, I thought, man, I'm looking like that. And this, I was thirsty. The angel said, You're thirsty? I said, Yes. He said, I'll get you some water. And this man said, I'll get him the water. And I looked. Oh, my, my I'm getting goosebumps. Excuse me a minute. Whew. He's <laughs> a thick barrel chested man. He said, Hello, Jesse. I'm your father in the faith. I'm Abraham. I went, and he's he, he thick, barrel-chested pigman. You ought to seen his clothes. You talk about a general. This boy was more than a four-star, five-star, ten-star. See, I, everything I thought about heaven was totally wrong. I thought Peter at the gate, that ain't true. No, no. You know, I just people saying all that kind of stuff. The first person you meet is your father of faith, Abraham. He said, you thirsty? I said, yes. He said, let me get you some water. He had a goblet with sapphire and diamond and emerald. I thought, my God, look at that cup. He said, drink this. And I was dehydrated, and I would do this. I said, what's happening? He said, you're going to have to eat some fruit so you can withstand the glory of God. And That's why I knew I was in my physical body. Because if I was in a, uh, in a vision, I wouldn't have got weak, you know, or spirit body or something like that. I mean, I mean, I would do this and not do that. And the angel said, you okay? He said, and I started talking to him. And I just had a wonderful time. I wanted to just stay there and talk. And the angel said, we must move on. You have an appointment with the most high God. I saw a man, the only other person other than Jesus that had a crown, he had a red beard, and that was King David. I saw him from afar, and Jesus assigned him to bring me to my house. But that, that's, I'm, I'm going ahead of myself right now. But we'll get to that in just a minute. So he gave me, and we started talking faith. Now I didn't put this in. I said, I said, how'd you do it? I said, how'd you do it, Abraham? Hey, how'd you do? How could you lay your boy down? He said, Well, I had a choice, but I chose the right choice. He said, just like you. I said, oh, I didn't do nothing what you did. He said, yes, you have. See, you don't know how God judges you until you get there. You think, well, I, you know, I'm just a normal little Christian about this. and this. Oh, but God has a different scale of moving and touching people. Like, you, you know, we think, you know, this and that. We think God is far above all that. So I'm just talking to and he hugged me and he laughed. And I thought, I'm being hugged by Abraham. And I just couldn't get on with it. I was just sitting, and the angel said, Jesse. They didn't call me Brother Jesse. They didn't call me Reverend Jesse. They didn't call me Reverend Doctor or Brother. They just called me Jesse. I said, Jesus called me, Jesse. I never called him Reverend Christ. I just called him Jesus. First name basis. And I was trying to do something for the angel, and he said, no, no, we're servants here. I said, Abraham, let me do it. He said, no, no, we're servants here. We serve each other. You have an appointment with God Almighty. It's exciting. And I said, Listen, we need to talk more. I said, Can I stay here a while? No, they keep you on schedule, you know what I'm saying? Now, by this time, I'm seeing beautiful places. I mean, this place is just gorgeous. So I'm walking like getting these flowers.
1: Yeah. No, when we see Jesus, we'll call him Lord, that's for sure. We'll call him Lord. This is the last clip I'm going to play today. It's Jesse sees Jesus, and this is how he sees him.
5: I went in, and as I walked, he turned toward me. Jesus is between five eleven and about six foot one. I said, "More cl- I, taller than I thought he was," and his hair I thought was like mine, white. But he turned his head just a little, and I caught a glance, and his hair was light brown. But yet when he looks at you, the glory of God is emanating from him. I fell at his feet. Just fell down, man. The angel of the Lord fell down. You bite the dust. And I
2: saw his feet.
5: And all my life, I thought Jesus had Stars. but those holes in his feet were this big, I could see the light shining through it, I understand that his feet look like burnished brass, bronze, because the glory of God in me, then I realized how big those nails were, you people don't realize how much he suffered, man cannot write it down, there's no adjectives to understand what Christ went through to describe it, I fell at his feet. I'll never forget this. And I put my hand. He said, stand to your feet. And the first thing I started doing was confess. I said, look.
1: <laughs> he said, you're forgiven. I said,
5: <laughs> And he put his hand on this shoulder. And he looked at me. He said, go tell my people I'm coming. And I thought he was going to give me a great... Re- I said, it, he, he would answer me when I thought. I said, they know that. He said, no, they don't know that. Don't tell them I'm coming. I brought you here to tell you. Go tell them I'm coming. And he had his hand on my... Do you hear me? I'm coming. Go tell them. I guess that's why I haven't rested in my life. Just... It's such an urgency in people. Just know something is up. He's soon to come, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Yes, Jesse, we know that. He said he was coming. He didn't need to bring you up there to heaven to tell you to tell us that he's coming. No. That, that's uh, part of Jesse Duplantis' so-called visit to heaven. I don't believe he went there physically. He might have been dreaming or something like that, but a lot of it doesn't line up with the word of God, so I don't believe it. And if God's going to take anybody to heaven, it's not going to be for a visit these short visits, so you can come back to earth and write a book, sell a book, and uh, make television appearances about <laughs> your visit. All we need to know about heaven is in God's word, And we won't really know all of it until we get there. Our minds can't even really comprehend it, but we thank God that we know we can go there and that we can receive forgiveness of our sins and we can receive eternal life from Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because the Bible says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans ten thirteen says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you don't know Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, give him your life today. It's easy to do. Not difficult. Salvation is not difficult. You can say, well, I've done so many terrible things in my life and I don't know if God can forgive me. He can forgive you and he will forgive you. And he puts all that in the past. He forgives no matter what you've done. He will forgive you and give you a brand new life. We, uh, Those of us that know about the born-again experience and know how Jesus Christ has changed us, we can testify that it's real. Jesus is real. He said he would never leave you or forsake you. So give your life to Jesus today. Get down on your knees and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Repent and accept his free gift of eternal life. God bless you all. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks everybody in the chat room that stopped by and all our listeners around the world. And if you need to contact me, you can email me, Susan at propheticnews.com. And we'll see you again next week. Okay. Bye-bye.